Well, well, hold on. It, it depends because, like, I'll do the Australian accent, but it's not far from like my Jewish oh, no. grandmother's accent. <laughs> Cow, come to synagogue. I'm worried about you. There's nice women here. Again. That's good, mate. I'm not sure if I'm in in Western Sydney or somewhere in in New York, mate. Sounds like straight out of oh, God. But um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, introduce yourself, your career, whatever you want to talk about on uh, your Instagram page as well. Sure, sure. Um, thanks for having me, guys. So I'm Carl. I run CSRC, uh, Coral Sea Co. Uh, before that, I've been out of the military for about two years now. But um, prior to that, I did about 16 years uh, enlisted in the Australian Army. Um, I made, I think, E6 sergeant is equivalent. Oh, sorry, E6 is the equivalent for you guys before I left. And uh, a lot of that time was spent in in and out of the, uh, the sniper community. So that's kind of where I leverage and try and aim... Um, if we're talking like subject matter expertise, not that I'd consider myself an SME, but that's, I suppose, the uh, the bread and butter of the the content and the experience that I leverage that I try and push out on um, CSRC. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, oh, go on. Let me continue. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> so, because uh, I've struggled with trying to, for the longest of times I did anyway, CSRC kind of defining it. And it was only when mm-hmm. I was studying more recently at uni and I kind of got some more fixed... I suppose, terminology on how to classify class. But yeah, if I had to summarize it now, like if people ask me, such as yourselves now in this context, um, it's tech ed for the most part. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to do in terms of what value am I giving back to people? And I suppose in that way, my, my key target audience or the people that I'm trying to most reach is, is specifically diggers, Australian service men and women, um, Australian soldiers for the most part. Uh, but with that being said, there's a lot of crossover with as you guys have known, like US Marines, especially with things like Murph D, um, we have mm. a lot of American military presence in Australia, as you guys would be aware. So I find that I've got um, a decent, I suppose, uh, reach base. Or a lot of these guys are interested, interested as well in the uh, the kit that I'm putting out. So yeah, that's about it. That's the function of the page in terms of um, what I'm trying to get done. I was a big fan about, what was it, a year and a half ago when you started doing the recce guides? You're like, what is this? What is this? And you would come up with the... Uh... It was almost like a multiple choice. Like you got the four quizzes. options. Come on. Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. The quiz. Mate, I've those. done one of those. I'm proud to say I've been running. Those quizzes have gone every week. Uh, every Friday, I try and run, run one of those suckers. Um, 20 questions. But yeah, they're pretty much a staple of the page. I think it's what keeps mm-hmm. a lot of people tuning mm-hmm. in. Uh, and the inspiration for that for that was Kahoot. I don't know if you guys have used or you've heard of that app. It's one of these dumb like education apps. You can do little quizzes in it. It was something for a time in the military we were using just for, we would call it GMKs, like general military knowledge. So, you know, you quiz your guys on what's the effective range of an AK and blah, 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 all the other kit and all that sort of thing. So you can input whatever bank of questions you want. Um, and it was always one of these things because, you know, I'd have a team of, at the time I was running it for like my team of snipers, which was 12 guys, including me. It's like, okay, we're going to do Kahoot. Fucking make sure you put in your real name. Don't put in some dumb nickname because I need to grade the answers. And of course, within five seconds of starting Kahoot, there's like donkey dick 69 and <laughs> titty tornado. I'm like, you idiots, stop using these fake names. <laughs> but Kahoot was kind of the inspiration to, um, to that I leveraged, I suppose, in saying, how can we, how can I use this, this resource, but in something that's more accessible? And I think the hypothesis behind CSRC is that uh, diggers, soldiers in general, probably spend more time on social media than they do reading technical documents and pamphlets and uh, what do you guys call them? Publications, right? Yeah. They're not flicking through mm-hmm. these on their phones of their own time. And if they if they could, well, sorry, they can't really even for the, for the most part because a lot of it's not open source. So I guess the vision mm-hmm. for it in the end was that if there's, there's a digger or a marine or a soldier or someone sitting on a toilet somewhere at work and he's doing a, a smelly poo, but he's doing a quiz at the same time or he's looking at a poster up on the back of the toilet door and he's learning a thing or two or even one, and that's kind of like mission success. Well, that's sort of one of the educational arms here of the goals of what I'm trying to achieve. That's that's a win. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, this is something that I've kind of mentioned on some of the podcasts. But when it comes to, to training, especially like in militaries that don't have 
any military outside the United States that doesn't have a massive amount of funding, it's very hard to, even on the civilian side as well, to get good training in because you you can either do really dumb training that is hard, but it's not expensive, like going yeah. out into the woods and sucking for like 48 hours. It's, it's good training, but it sucks. Or you can yeah, do- for sure. You have to, or you can get creative and try to do fun training. And it, it takes a lot of creativity to make training, you know, fun, not expensive, and worthwhile. And and that's kind of what you do with your page is you make it so that you can take a, like you said, you can take a dump and just scroll your page and learn a ton. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly the goal, mate. Um, and if someone's doing exactly that, then yeah, that's that's a win in, in and of itself because capturing an audience, like I'm. Like, Doing instructional time, which was another thing I spent quite a bit of in the military. So outside of the, the sniper sphere, I was involved in the combat shooting program for a while as well. And they, to their credit, the Australian Army got a lot of external advisors and subject matter guys in from the States, from all over, um, mm-hmm. psychology guys and uh, reality-based training guys, all sorts. So they had a pretty good amount of external experience that was coming in and passing this on. So. And part of that, you know, the hardest thing is to capture your audience and then retain it in the first place. Or sorry, capture it in the first place and then retain their attention for whatever block of instruction you're trying to do. Um, but yeah, that's the beauty of this Instagram is they're always, they being diggers, soldiers are always scrolling on it. I'm always scrolling on it. So if there's something positive that can come out of it, then yeah, so be it. Yeah. When it comes to the Australian Army, I know in the US Army and US military, there's like like a red, red cell section, but it's usually like, civilian contractors or something like that to like pre-programmed pre-designated i don't know box like simulations of like a war game or something like that like oh we have a a war game coming on everyone gets in the jock watch floor everyone runs through the reps you have the guys in the field you got the guys with their bft is there anything the equivalent of that in like the australian army or- um so you're talking it's like an organization that facilitates a war game yeah, yeah, specifically yeah. uh mm-hmm. and we have the closest thing I can think of would be CTC, but that's more, it's more practical uh, exercises. So they'd be more similar to, I think, what, what do you guys have that warfighter? Uh, one of the yeah, bases where there's a dedicated op four unit yeah. and they excel oh. at, at all. It's, so CTC is kind of similar it's, to that. So they're a mix of a dedicated op four unit and they facilitate and run kind of up to not just battle group, but um, like mm-hmm. massive scale training as well. Link to that, maybe we have a few like, massively or criminally underutilized even there's we have the sim centers on every every fucking base has one but they barely get any use and that's the uh what's the real version of armor called It'll yeah i know to- what you're talking about it's it's armor so uh, yeah, VBS, it's like the uh, yeah. vbs1 or vbs2 whatever it is mm-hmm. so yeah they have this giant sim center room thing with vbs like 50 terminals that just sits there gathering dust for the most part mm-hmm. so they probably could do something i think similar to what you're getting at but I wouldn't say we definitely have a dedicated um, unit or cadre of people who, who facilitate. So there's that. not like a like a like a red cell in house and a white cell and a green cell and a blue cell. Those guys are like kind of like orchestrating behind the lines. Nothing like that. No, not that. If there is, if this is something that's a thing, it's not something that I'm I'm privy to, or perhaps not in this terminology. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm just going to answer no because it's not something I'm sure of, to be honest. Because, I mean, we got a lot of civilians that listen to this podcast, so I'm sure they're like, oh, oh you guys have ARMA? Like, yeah, we have, because yeah, I know 100%. what you're talking about, and I know everything that you... So these centers that uh, Carl's talking about, they have ARMA there. They have these simulation ranges. For us, I'm sure you guys have, like, the AUG, but for us, it was, like, M16s and M4s hooked up to mm-hmm. monitors, like, laser ranges that were gas-operated so that, like, they give you recoil. And I mean, you could sit there for probably four to five hours and just do a flat 25 meter range with your M4s and stuff like that. Nobody does that. Uh, they could run that. Ter- the Mar- for, the Marine for like, does that before. If like, like, if you're like super shitty at shooting, you could go to the sim range. Yeah, remedial. Right I was about to say, yeah. that's what we use it for is we, we, we sit there and we would rather have our guys clean and sweep the barracks than go to the v, like the VBS center yeah, and yeah, run. Gotcha arma for a week but the other thing on top of that uh, of these centers and i don't know if they're the the way that same thing for you guys is like they're ran by some dude who's just like i've got five scenarios these are the scenarios we can do there's three bad guys in a house i'll play one of them like they're they're terrible terrible like i've seen imagination 
Oh yeah. Like it and fun. Like it's literally a video game. Like you could sit there and like go through the whole opboard process, plan, and it's it's a freaking video game. So you could have a private be a squad leader mm-hmm. and be yeah, like, ah, sure. see, I don't suck at my job. You're just stupid, Pry. Like fucking <laughs> like and and do that. But we we don't. We and like you said, criminally underutilized. And yeah. so guys lacking the imagination when they have the funding and they have the government entity to support all of this training, but it's just it's not used. I think in the, what you're referring to, we have two different simulation centers. So we have mm-hmm. one we call the WETS, uh, W-T-S-S. I want to try, say it's Weapon Training Simulation System. And that's where it's what you described. You have the fake, yeah. not the fake, the real guns, but they're set up with gas and there's sound effects. And that's like, that's used quite a bit. That's part of the um, like certification shoot. And I'm a fan of that technology because it, it, oh, because yeah. of the accessibility alone. It's right there mm-hmm. on base. There's no live fire involved. It's quick in and out. So I think implementing that is good. But yeah, that other sim center, it's like a, how would I describe it? Like a, like a land cafe. Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. actual PCs and that's the one that never mm. gets used. That's that's the super duper. It gets ignored. It gets left to gather dust. And invariably like to, to plan it and run it, if you don't have some, I don't know, if you don't run it with a bit of iron fist within five seconds, you've just got dudes like TKing each other and then some dude spawned in a lav. It's like, man, where'd you get that? Like, and he's, he's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, scenarios yeah, like, and, uh, to make the training good. Like, and then your resident, like CSGO or your CS 1.62 just obliterates everyone. It's like, yeah. guys yeah. who are actually good at gaming then come through. So it's funny like that. Yeah, yeah. super duper underused. But on that, on that. We've got a little, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say accessibility because that sprung into my mind. Sorry, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. get on tangents here, boys. Like if, if we no, you're fine. ramble and just cut That's me short. Fine, yeah. Um. I think that accessibility when it comes to not just training in and of itself, but specifically the technology, that's that's super, I think, healthy for soldiers to have because then they're more likely to use it. Because I remember when I was in, before I was in snipers, I was in DFSW platoon, which is like our anti-armored slash sustained fire machine gun platoon. We combined both kind of roles into one platoon in, in mm-hmm. Australia. And we had, uh, so at the time, you wouldn't fire javelin live very often. Like you'd be lucky to get <laughs> a live javelin. Um, but we had the javelin simulator and that was just hooked up mm-hmm. like in our offices there and it was a little blue gym mat on the floor and you sit there with your javelin simulator and just all day every day like shooting at scuds in the jav simulator and then one day i worked out that the uh all the maps they're just like a png graphic like on the computer so the whole thing's a self-contained computer and everything and i worked out i don't know why they would let this happen because i'm far from a, a hacker like tech savvy dude you can open these maps in like microsoft paint and immediately start graffitiing all the the real life scenario maps. So, you know, I'd wait till another dude would left the room and then like I'd open up Fort Benning range 26 or whatever it's called, which is like, cause it's photorealism maps and yeah. I'm like building, I've drawn like a giant dick and I'm writing like Reedy is gay and just graffiti and shit. And the next dude comes in, it's like, what is this? What have you done to the job simulator? But yeah, hours of fun cause it was accessible. We could just go in there and yeah. tinker away on that and shoot rockets all day long. We have a, like our lad guns or low altitude air defense guys, they have like, I guess like Stinger, Stinger and Javelin oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sim yeah, ranges yeah. that are pretty cool because you can watch like the Hilo fly and you have to like learn how to lead it and everything. Those are pretty fun. Yeah, that's awesome. And then, mate, what uh, about Stinger? Some, I don't know how we how we never jumped aboard and adopted Stinger. That is a separate rant. Oh, you're gonna make me rant about air defense. Um, that's a, a tangent in <laughs> itself, mate. It all so all the exercises, all the training I did in. In Australia, I never once even saw air defense. I don't know what air defense looks like, like in person. It's actually pretty really, one hundred percent. Nice, damn. Nice. <laughs> so uh, then, I, I guess that that'll that'll go to the next question I have. Is you, you talk about air defense? Um, obviously, there's a ton of wars going on right now. You've got Israel, Gaza. Yeah. You've got Ukraine. You've got Myanmar. Um, Pick your poison. Um, right. What yeah. do you want? Which one? <laughs> yeah. Pick out of the hat and which one do you want to talk about first and like oh, what you're seeing? Well, like, I mean, like we were talking about before we started recording, as you guys know, it's you pick your poison and then you're going to have, you're going to upset someone, right? When you're running you're an Instagram to the account, pro. regardless of the, of the domain. <laughs> you're talking to the pros. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like Alex Jones. You're talking to the guys on. who've been cut out of every single OSIN community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, mate, look, it's a challenge to try and discuss, I suppose, the nuances of of kit and equipment and resources, which is which is what interests me. It's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to focus on. 
for the most part, mm-hmm. like the politics and the reasons why. And I, honestly, I think I have that luxury because I don't consider myself an Ausint um, practitioner or a fucking a news page either for that reason. Um, most of the time I'm posting stuff because it's just me running all this. That is interesting mm-hmm. to me. I suppose sometimes that will stray into the, the domain of, of maybe news or breaking news. But for the most part, focusing on, on quit, kit rather, not quit, kit, mm-hmm. um, equipment, technology, I try and stay clear of the of the, the, the murky side of the politics yeah. behind all these all these mm-hmm. conflicts because that's when you get the mate. You guys have seen it. The, the comments, oh, the DMs, it's just nutty. It's a crazy place. No, you're you're good. I mean, it it, it we we joke around a lot, but I think that Matt and I uh, on some of the podcasts that we've done together and uh, the Patreon episodes, we kind of try to take the funny hat off and put on off our sure. old. Our, our old Intel hats. And the problem is, is that once you start talking about it, people get, you, you can't say anything that won't upset anybody. So agree. my, agree. my opinion is like, if you're going to say something, just, just, yeah, say go ahead and chess. say, yeah, say it with chess <laughs> because I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, okay. For instance, uh, Matt and I both come, we both started our career before we went and supported soft. We both had spent time in rotary wing aviation. So we both, lose a brain cell every time either russia or ukraine like tilts their helicopter up and fires rockets <laughs> and everyone's like no it's accurate i swear to god and yeah, we're like, yeah yeah i don't yeah. know <laughs> i'm gonna have an aneurysm but how are they I, I, what are they aiming at the clouds yeah like even the, <laughs> i don't know me to a, a lay for, uh, person a lay yeah. person intuitively me i'm looking at that even like how are they aiming this <laughs> it's not even like they're using it properly it's just like map of the earth pop right above the tree line launch a bunch of missiles <laughs> pop right back rbe or rtv yeah. and you're just like what was the point of that it's funny you mentioned that because i was just i was doing some um i don't like the term research because really what i'm doing is googling shit but uh anyway i was doing yeah. some research on uh post i think i'm gonna drop i'll release tomorrow on some Russian attack helicopters, so a bit of rotary wing, just KA-52, MI-35, and MI-28. Because I notice when I run these quizzes, you know, trends emerge and people will confuse the kit and commonly mixed up stuff is like the MI-28 and the MI-35, whatever, this sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was looking into this and I found this interesting article that some of these, which I didn't realize until just yesterday, these ATGMs that the, uh, the Russians are using now, they don't necessarily cross i don't know if you guys are aware of this with your background but it was news to me i found it interesting they don't cross pollinate i guess between the platforms very well so there's like uh i think it was the, uh not atac m that's HIMARS. attack r i think was one of them and that was like native or optimized for ka52 and then there was mm-hmm. vicar like vik hr was optimized for mi28 um and they like tried to cross level them so they could use each other and they were having all these weird glitches in like the fire control system and all this sort of stuff Really? Um, but yeah, I think these mm-hmm. new, well, not new, but they're, they're getting the new now ATGM long range stuff. And this was a bloke on Twitter dropped some um, dropped some knowledge on me as well because I'll often get on, sorry, Twitter or slash X. And if I want to get yelled at when I make a mistake on one of these posts or one of these posters, I'll just like <laughs> use Twitter <laughs> as a testing Defer. ground. Defer. I upload it to that and I'll be like, hey, anyone see anything wrong with that? Immediately get screamed at in the comments for like 10 threads and like, okay, yep, cool, appreciate it. I'll fix this. That, I'm going to delete the post. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned, to be fair, I'll put it up, I'll put this big draft thing on it and I'll put it up on X and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to develop this thing. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. Anyone have any feedback? And doing it, to be fair, doing it that way, people have been not dicks about it, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a treat and surprising for Twitter. But yeah, that's uh, anyway, it was an interesting thing I'd read about speaking of uh, aviation and how, yeah, the Russians are kind of adapting their, I guess, ATGM use for more survivability. So they're firing these from like max distance. And I think one of these things had a 14.5 or almost 15 kilometer range. Yeah. So yeah. they're super duper getting back there yeah. over the trees and then like long bombing it. I think it's everyone's just, I guess, like, like naive to suspect that the Russians are the exact same military there were two years ago. Like now they've certainly learned a lot. They haven't been in a war. And before that, they weren't in a war since like what, Georgia in 08. And that was six days. Like that's their last big war was Afghanistan. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's just interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, Chechnya. But it's just like interesting to look at them just like advance and continue to like improve on their own TTPs. 
and everyone's like, oh, I see oh, Kiev in three days. Oh. And you're like, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, even yeah, paying yeah. attention. Like, <laughs> it's, it's some, so, It makes me wonder what were they early adopters on as well? And I don't know if you guys discussed this with when you had AFV on, but even the, and this was fucking, it was driving me crazy a bit, but you know, the start of the invasion when um, the cope cages, like all the yeah. tapes, the armor with the area. <laughs> it's like, and every, the dumb, again, the dumb train of thought at the time was, Oh my god, the Russians are dumb. They think they're going to stop javelin missiles. And so, well, well, did they, or did they know about the impending threat of drones and loitering munitions and suicide, like CUAS, and they were ahead of the curve? You know what I mean? It's one. I'm not sure if you guys discussed that with AV, but that's when you look back on it, it's like, uh huh. Were they were they stupid and they were just like, oh, this is going to stop jabs, or were they actually ahead of the, the game? We did, but I I think as you say that, it's one of those things. Like if I have to walk it back right like kind of look at the cope cage and see when it came around um the loitering munitions was a big thing because if you we had rima on and rima has been all over ukraine she did like a bunch of logistics for the ukrainians and she came on and this this blew my mind she said the russians have four drones for every square kilometer of the front and I think of I a, a, was a quadcopter, yeah, a quadcopter, yeah. And they they barely have one per company, like one to two per company for the Ukrainian side. So, long story short, is like they've got like four to five times the amount of drones. So, when we look at like we backtrack it, I don't think it really was. Uh, I think they were trying to play with the javelin, like trying to yeah. test it. But I'm 90% sure that the minute a loitering munition was dropped on a tank, because that that's what AFV said, was like, he was like, these tank tactics are weird. He's like, they're coming out, they're firing a little bit, and then they're getting the hell out of Dodge. And he was like, I think they're avoiding the drones. So I think it was kind of a mix of things. I think like some guys over here were dealing with drones, and then some guys over here were dealing with javelins, and then at one time like they're like hey let's just put up a cage and like yeah, hopefully yeah, it yeah. takes on both and so like the official mm-hmm. answer i would have is like if you if you've ever been on the line or you've been around joe's you know how it is it's like everyone's like i mean like iraq and afghanistan dudes were like we gotta stop this ied thing like how do we do that and like we're just attaching phone poles and shit to humvees and up armor down armor and then yeah, it sure. eventually became a sigint platform and so it's long story short joe's be will be Joe's and they'll take whatever they can and mm-hmm. attach it to their fucking tanks and yeah. do things. Like going back to the uh the cope cages, if you went to the T72 Wikipedia or the T90 Wikipedia back in the day, it was parentheses cope cage and everyone just falsified the entire page. So if <laughs> someone like someone like Jake AFE was like, I need to get a little brushed up in the max effective range and it's like, you know, zero. And you're like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I man. I, I, I guess we'll do Ukraine first. And you, you said you like doing kit and stuff like that. So we can do Ukraine and Russia, but like I've, I've watched a couple things. Have you, have you watched Deki, uh, the Serbian sniper who was hired by the Donetsk people's Republic? Yeah, that's right. To, no, uh, I can't sound familiar. Okay, I, I will send like that to be. you. Okay. Yeah, please. What was it? Deki. Deki. Uh, his name is Deki. If you type in D-E-J-K-I, he's a Serbian sniper who was in the Kosovo War. And oh, gotcha. he was hot, he was trained by a Belarusian-Russian sniper camp for mercenaries. Uh, and then he shows up in the DNR and he just starts... And I mean, they're shooting each other with like explosive bullets and the chest plates and stuff. And it's like the whole documentary is like that. It's from his point of view. Um, but he even brings up things like... Uh, like he'll be sitting there smoking a cigarette talking about how they're taking two kilometer plus shots in Ukraine. He's like, these, you know, the, oh, these JTF dudes, they don't know what they're talking about. This is yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Like I can, so it's like that, that's a big thing that I've noticed. And I wanted to talk to you about that, but is there anything sure. else you've uh, noticed as far as like kit TTPs from, from both sides? Um, to be honest, I haven't been closely following the sniping side of the Ukraine, Russia recently, yeah. but I, I certainly remember from the opening stages when I was keeping more of an eye on it. Um, I think to start with, to, to my understanding, Ukraine had a reasonably sophisticated sniping program even prior to the war. Uh, to my knowledge, there was reasonable amounts of input from, I'd say, Western soft units. Um, which ones in particular, I'm not sure. probably doesn't matter. But I suppose I'd go as far as say their, their sniping program was developed and somewhat westernized. 
in general with the sniper world and I think what not just what makes it interesting but it's what I enjoy about it a lot um, compared to perhaps a lot of other disciplines that relate to weapons in the military so I'm just talking basic your, your infantry fleet or suite of guns so you know in your infantry battalion you have your machine gun guys and you have your mortar guys you have your anti-tank guys you have your snipers um, nothing evolves quicker than the realm of sniping insofar as the kit the guns and the equipment and logically and obviously that's because there's a civilian market for it um, there's no civilian market for tripods and machine guns and you know that's not evolving as quickly as snipers because you know it's like well maybe you guys have tri- tripods and machine guns i don't know but in australia yeah, no. <laughs> you know there's no like machine gun club on the weekend where you can get your mag 58 sandbagged in and start doing 3.2 suppressing indirect fire um mm-hmm. snipers that's not the case there's there's especially in the states prs is huge that's become more everything in australia for quite some time now but the so what of that is the kit the techniques and everything associated with not even sniping um precision shooting i'll say shooting a bolt action or highly accurate gun at extreme distances or even not extreme distances but very accurately and quickly evolves faster than anything else so if you even myself like when i took two years out of the game and i left the the unit when i was like in a uh, what do you call it when i was in my battalion so when i was in 2rr and i left 2rr and i did two years at school of infantry in a non-sniper affiliated role when i go back just after two years it's crazy how much better and knowledgeable in terms of kit and the tech the guys who are my successors are than me just from being two years out of the game and that would be true for anyone um so yeah when i was seeing early days ukraine especially who had really impressive kit which was i suppose not surprising given the the money involved um but those kadirabites like the chechen guys I remember during the first couple mm-hmm. of weeks seeing the photos of these guys, AI guns out the wazoo, so like British. It's one of the finest. I'm a sucker for AI. I love Accuracy International. It's one of the finest mm-hmm. bolt-action rifles in the world. Um, and, yeah, not like the reject Vinbin cheap old variants of it either, like these Chechens rocking AI AXs with really right stuff, tripods and hog saddles and thermal sights and this, that and the other and Kestrel vein, a weather vane hanging off the side. Yeah. like. Again, sophisticated, latest kit that any dude in in US Marines, US Army, Australian sniper team would would be stoked to have. Um, so yeah, it's curious the the amount of kit. I suppose well, that's conversation itself. Those guys and their budgets and their kit. I was about to say what makes it, and it, in my opinion, from what I've experienced uh, overseas, was the Chechens don't play. And these were under-equipped Taliban, like supporting, like Chechens supporting the Taliban. Like anytime yeah. the Chechens were around, everyone, the whole room just kind of like, it just, it, like you got Green Berets, you got Rangers, you got SEALs, but been in the room with all of them. The minute you say, yeah, there might be some Chechens here, the whole room just goes, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Like, oh, we're, we're going to have to fight today. And to hear that not only like are they Chechen, but they're equipped. And so it just, to hear you say that kind of makes me go, oh, fucking shit. We're going to have yeah, to deal sure. with that in like 10 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the same thing. So I, my Afghan rotation was in 2011. And on my trip, there was no, there was not even any talk of, there are any in circles of Chechens in the AO or whatever, but there were a few previous trips. And you're right in that they're kind of the, they were the boogeyman of the campaign. Yeah. I suppose that's a way to put it up. Anyone like, oh, the insurgents are Chechens. It was like, okay, well, you know, these guys are the true believers. They've come here just for a bit of the, the ultra violence. Mm-hmm. They're not just, you know, dropping the rake for, for 10 bucks to go plant an ID. They're, they're doing it for the for, for the love of the game, boys, you know. <laughs> they're in it for the, for, the, for the kicks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, they... That was, uh, uh, that was one of those old... Monks. I, I was going to say, I don't know if, Carl, you remember the... The post I made on Croatonal a good while ago, where Cody and I sat down and tried to like lay out the landscape of if ex Taliban guys were now in the ranks with the Chechens because of that experience where the Chechens were in the Taliban and cross pollinating, and there was horrific stories of like you know child mutilation and whatnot going on in like Mariupol where all the uh, the Chechens were, and Cody and I were like, I think they're there. I think there's at least a couple Taliban liaisons who fought in like Marsha or something that know exactly how to do this. And then the entire community called this, you know, bonkers or bananas. And then what was it? What was it Cody's nine months later, almost a year later, we were just like, Oh, there they are. They were there. Oh really? It yeah. was a uh, sweet vindication. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was. No, so what was it? 90 days later. <laughs> not only, yeah, not only that, like nine, 
it started coming out that Taliban commandos were in Wagner, like not Taliban, but Afghan oh, commandos really? and Taliban commandos mm-hmm. had joined Wagner because they're, they're broke in Afghanistan. So I, I wasn't even thinking of like the, cause we were just hearing like the TTPs of like what was happening. And I'm like, that sounds like the Taliban, like child mutilation, you know, women, women, children, churches, the whole nine yards. I was like, that doesn't sound Russian. That, that yeah. sounds Talib. And then it came out, like, not only do they have, uh, Taliban guys there, but they had Afghan and Taliban commandos who were prior service serving with us in Wagner. And then they started showing up in Africa too. And we're like, what are we dealing with? Like they're, they're, <laughs> they're international. Crazy, yeah. yeah. But so what, at, at, before we leave Ukraine, is there anything, anything else that you've seen besides like snipers that you're seeing? Like, Oh, that's a, well, somebody should look into when that. When it comes to snipers and, and that conflict at the moment, the big deal is they have a claim to the current longest world record kill, which is, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's totally plausible. Totally plausible based on what's been presented. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that that it's certain? No, but yeah. they. I, put, I made a post about this because every time there's a new world record kill claim, it doesn't matter if it's Ukraine, Burma, some Chechen, an Australian, whoever, it's always met with skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and perhaps rightly so when... In some cases, like, because immediately people, the comments on this, it's straight away just, oh, yeah, just like Ghost of Kiev. It's like Sam Hyde flying the, <laughs> the SU-37. Sam Hyde. Sam What do they call him? Sam Hyde. Hyde. Adovsky yeah. or whatever the... Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a saint. Those are great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's met with skepticism because, you know, the, the, the message here is like, oh, the Ukrainians love propaganda and the Russians love propaganda, so it's fake, it's bullshit. And I'm like, hey, let's put that aside. Let's put aside who's doing the shooting and just look at the facts. They released a video. Here's the distance. Here's the caliber. Here's the bullet. Here's the shooters. And if you just let's use some common sense and analyze all these things removed from emotion and removed from like football side politics. Like I like Russia. I like Ukraine. Therefore, it can or can't be true. Mm. Um, and it's it's totally it's plausible. It's totally plausible given the technology that they had in terms of the kit, the caliber, the bullet, um, the scope, the optics. The, the kit that's available in terms of getting the required elevations of mills on your gun, on your scope mounts. Uh, there's stuff like the Tarak systems now, which instantly can double the amount of elevation you can get or the can to the decline on your barrel, right? Or sorry, the uh, incline on your barrel so you can shoot further. Um, it's totally plausible. It's not that crazy. Plus, PS to all that, they released a video of it. So all it's going to take is someone to geolocate the video to say, hey, yeah, this is true or no, this is bullshit claim. So it, it's almost one of the things, let's not get emotional and go nuts over it. Someone geolocate the footage. I don't possess the steady hand or the technology to do that myself. I wish I could. But someone will in time and then it'll be confirmed or denied. It's no, it's no big deal because they released footage. If there was no footage, then it makes for a different conversation. But, you know, they released a clip saying, here's this guy shooting um, these dudes at, I had to look it up just before because I forgot, 3,800 3, metres, so just shy of 4Ks. Mm-hmm. Long way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Someone just geolocate the footage. It's not that com- complicated. Why, why are we having this? Who was we having this speculation? Was it an Australian GTA sniper? Two. That was the. Yeah, uh, that was correct. That was Canadian. Canadian dude. Yeah. Um, three point four, three point two mm. k's. I think was his. <laughs> Again, I'll put this post up about the uh, Ukrainian shot. And there's straight away like two or three people tagging him in the comments. And I was just like, bro, I'm sure he's sick of being tagged today. Like, what do you leave me alone. I've got a mortgage. Leave the poor guy alone. It's like, what are you trying to do? Rub it in? Like, oh, remember that really cool record you had? It just got beaten, bro. How do you yeah, feel, somebody- bro? Like, what are they- what do they think he's going to – and if you, random dude on the internet, has tagged him and you don't know him, I'm, I say he knows by now, you know. <laughs> oh, it's it's like uh, – cracks when me the, up. When the war started, uh, did he go to Ukraine? Because I remember seeing all these propaganda footage of like the world's deadliest sniper embarks to ah, Ukraine. That's a different dude. Okay. That was a different dude, yeah. Okay. So he was a bit of a uh, – again, this, was, this is what I'm told. Um, I don't like poo-pooing people's reputation directly because, mm-hmm. you know, hearsay and – who the fuck knows? But uh, people had spoken not well, or not highly of him. But the reality was he was a Canadian sniper guy. Uh, he had been to, I want to say, Syria or Iraq and fought. Mm. Always involved, I'm not sure fought's the correct word, but was involved in some degree with the Pesh uh, in some capacity. I don't mm. know how much combat was involved or otherwise. And then, yeah, was a volunteer fighter in Ukraine as well. 
Um, gotcha. That was uh, that dude's that cat's name was like or his alias was was Wally. Yeah, um, and I did a few posts on that dude earlier earlier on in the bit as well. well but yeah, we, there was uh, the previous guy with the record holder was a JTF two chap, whereas he was yeah, obviously you, a conventional Canadian infantry guy. What do you want that guy to do? Do you really like tag the that, the JTF two guy and be like, now I got to go back and try and beat him? Like, what do you expect him to do? Like, <laughs> yeah, get off exactly. his. You gotta go yeah. beat him. You can't let that yeah, stand. Yeah, yeah. I think I want to watch <laughs> no, Enemy but... at the Gates on GoPro. Just <laughs> yeah, um, We were we were talking about it the other day, and they're like, "Do you do you think this is uh, real?" And uh, what was the caliber he was using? I think it was like uh, the Ukrainian. It's I'm a crazy chop shop, from what I can tell. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember it, um, but I read somewhere it's like a, I think a necked down. What would one of their native heavy calibers be? Fourteen point five, I want to say. Yeah, it's like a dish garage. That's yeah, like, correct. It's, yeah, and so it's some crazy home brewed, home pressed fourteen point yeah. five neck down, or it might be a twelve point seven neck down. But it, it's yeah. it's a custom purpose made precision yeah. round again. If it, if it had been like, yeah, we're using ball, you know, twelve point seven by one hundred one Dushka ammo, then I would have been like, oh, yeah, I don't know, boys. Yeah. But again, is, the I- equipment makes it. In this context, in this case, I would say plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, that combined with their experience, like you guys said, everyone's these both sides are learning so much over the course of the last two years. I dare yeah. say both Russians and Ukrainians have been sending long bong sniper shots at each other for the last two years now over mm-hmm. two Ks routinely. So that- if there's anyone who's got most, I suppose, real world practice and experience, yeah, it's the Russians and Ukrainians at long range shooting at the moment. Oh, yeah, you, you got I, it up. Yeah, I got I got it up. Oh, it, nice. it, Look at I, this. I mean, honestly, it looks like a pipe gun that they've just attached a barrel to. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not shitting on them. You know, necessity is the mother of innovation. But we were, we were talking about this thing, and I looked at it, and I was like, that dude took an anti-tank gun and lobbed rounds for two years, and finally, probably he not, he probably is a great sniper, but you know, he hit something, <laughs> and he was like, you know, hey, you know, after two and a half years of sniping with yeah, that yeah. thing. And you finally hit a dude at two and a half miles. You're like, hey, you know, and I I don't discount him because if anybody's ever worked with snipers or worked with scouts, you know just how incredibly dangerous it is for them. So he was constantly putting himself in harm's way, constantly getting on the line, constantly taking shots. Mm -hmm. And after two years of war, he finally hit something at two and a half miles. Hey, man, you know. He basically went to the casino and won big one time, and everyone's like, oh, "I don't believe you." I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's... yeah. Oh, so. look, I won't, I won't disagree with you. There's a, there's a healthy dose of, of luck, and the yeah. movements have to align on the right axis as you, as you press the trigger. Um, and look, yeah. I say that having engaged like uh, over two thousand meters, um, <laughs> it's, it definitely, yeah. Even with our kit, and this was a long time ago now, like the kit these guys are using is much more advanced, but yeah, yeah I definitely wasn't clapping anyone first round at, at plus 2,000 meters, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, yeah, back to my early bit, sniping advances so quick, so yeah. so much and with so much tech that I get, that's why I think it's totally plausible that if 10 years ago we were yeah. shooting people at 2.4, 2.8, the amount that can change in 10 years for sniping, precision guns, the kit, the training, yeah, absolutely doable. So, uh, going going from there onward, um, I noticed you've started focusing on China on your page. Like you've even told people, like, "Shut up! I'm not doing Russia no more. It's too easy to spot them." Like, <laughs> yeah. do do you have anything about China, the, uh, the the Pacific, or anything like that you want to talk about? And that that's, this um, is like all Matt's field of study. I don't know yeah. anything about China. <laughs> Again, guys, I, I don't um. It's not, not even that I don't want to. It's just I don't consider myself well-versed in the geopolitics situation mm-hmm. between even Australia and China, uh, aside from the, the casual glance of what I'd be exposed to from pages like Allcon and some yeah. of the other guys that cover it much better. Um, but what I saw there with China and more specifically the PLA was, again, just a, a, a void of kit knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's mm-hmm. pretty good at identifying Russian kit. And like you're, you guys with your background, like would know better than most how important it is for the average soldier, not just like interspecialists, but the average soldier to be able to tell a PKM from a from an AKM. And even if you can do better than that, if you can tell an AKM from an AK-74, hell, even that's more valuable, right? Um, and I noticed there was a massive void of information on Chinese kit, Chinese guns and kit. Now, again, this is one of those things like me as an Australian, 
do I want war with China? Absolutely not. That would be a fucking disaster for the entire world. But it's one of those things. I'm an Australian citizen and a former military Australian dude. And, you know, my country has picked a side for all, mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. There's that great clip. Have you seen the, um, it's, a, it's a skit show, but they're talking about the China, the Australian defense policy as it relates yeah, to, I know what you're to about. have you seen this one? I don't one? think I have. Yeah, yeah where they're classic. like, so we're. Go oh, my, you have to. I've got okay, it so basically, my, they're yeah, all like sitting around and they're like, our defense spending is down. And they're like, why is it down? And it's like, well, because trade's kind of down. And who's our, it, basically, it, like, they're going back and forth about defense, trade, and like geopolitics. And it just ends with, so you want us to increase defense spending, spending to protect our trade routes against our trade partner. And they're like, so all of it is like they're trading right. with the Chinese. They need yeah, to defend yeah, yeah. themselves against the Chinese. <laughs> it's all like, like they're trading and defending from the Chinese. And they're like, fuck. And, and like, it's the, the military generals are being all coy about it. They don't want to name yeah. names. Like, oh, we wouldn't want to raise <laughs> tensions. It's like, where wouldn't you want to raise tensions? In this room. It's like, I'll just say a name and you nod. China. We're protecting China. What are we protecting against? Okay. I'll just say it. Our trade routes. Is that correct? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, General, we're protecting our trade routes from China or our trade routes with China from China. From China. That about sums yeah. it up. <laughs> and they just look around the room like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, sorry, in short, waffling, rambling side tangent. Yeah, it's the kit. Even myself, I massively had a lack of understanding on, on Chinese kits across the spectrum uh, small arms, AFE, aviation, you name it. And then I realized as well, thinking back to, my time in the military, you guys probably have the same. There's little posters printed up everywhere. Bathrooms, yeah. Op yeah. 4 kit. And, you know, it's AK. Exactly, in the back of the <laughs> shit of doors and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And in my mind's eye, that was still AK-47, BMP-1, this kind of shit. Like, even when I left the military, so I'm like, well, is this really the, the fight that the diggers should be preparing for these days? Is this the adversary and the equipment they're likely going to face? Mm-hmm. I think not. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of pivoting, I guess, to focus on this on PLA kit was uh, – was that was the goal there, and it's it's been, mate. It's interesting, researching slash going to uh, are looking into all that kit, well, but yeah, it is it is tougher than Russian. I want to focus sure. on this heavily. I'm just going to grab that coffee that I just made. So just <laughs> come to you, got it? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I got this. Hang on. So the the question I have for you uh, to fill the void is, I've noticed Australian Australian Defence Forces. They do the battle belt. They do the. Uh, you guys do the plate carrier. You guys do the battle belt. You know yes. the British. They do the. Uh, they they they're all belt kit. And then obviously the United States. We all have different ways of going about things. In your opinion, what is what is the future look like for kit? And what do you what do you would gonna wear? If you so had you're to? talking about individual load carriers so, specifically, so just like a shoot kit. Uh, yeah, I'll give you an example. So we've got one guy who uh, talks about this in. A variety of ways he talks about how you know the future is because we all have optics we all have guns he's like yeah the future is a plate carrier none of the fucking stuff on the plate carrier he's like you'll have a field look lo- uh, a flick and then you'll have probably your belt kit and he's like the reason being is like you're gonna get shot in the chest a lot and you're gonna need to replace uh, you'll either need to take the plate out. You'll need to put a new plate in. He's like, either way, he's like, you're just going to have a generic plate carrier and then you're just going to have to wear the rest of your kit. And he, he was like, honestly, the best way to do it is probably just to wear the British style. So it was, it, it, it's like a fun conversation we have. Like, what does it look yeah, like sure. after seeing Ukraine and then also like Myanmar where the jungles are? He's like, you know, they, they it's such a shit show in Myanmar and so yeah. hot that you can't even wear a plate carrier. <laughs> like you can't, yeah, for it's sure. so hot and so mountainous mountainous. And so he's like, yeah, he's like, I think the British belt kit is going to be the big one. And so in your professional opinion, yep. after seeing kind of everything, where would you go? Yeah, with it? for sure. Uh-huh. Um, big fan of, like, I'm a, as a kit nerd myself, super dig this topic. And I'd say to that, we, we fusion or we have a blend of both, I suppose, American, American philosophy of kit and, and British philosophy of kit. So if you were to take your standard, Australian section now, you'd probably find the two gunners. So we still have our Minimai 556, some cases 762, but the 556 one is the most common. The two gunners will probably 90% of the time be in belt kit still. Um, mm-hmm. So we call it we call it fat man's webbing because it's from your silhouette at night when you have that big belt kit on, you just look like an enormous obese man because you're shaped <laughs> like a triangle. Um, so your gunners will have fat man's belt kit 
because that's the easiest way to carry 800 rounds of 5.56. And mm -hmm. over the top of that, usually then we call it T-Bass, tiered body armor system. It's pretty much a plate carrier with some molly. Pretty similar to the, what the Marines had maybe five years ago or so, mm -hmm. I can't remember the name of it, but in cut and profile and size. And they'll have that over the top of the uh, the, the the fat man's or the, the belt kit. But then other, sorry, my alarm was going off to join the kit bag podcast, which I'd Check. already joined. Um, the other percent of guys will probably have, as you said, the little uh, battle belt. So like a low profile belt and then a armor carrier, which I'd say is kind of more US inspired, or it's just the way it's turned out. It's not, maybe not necessarily inspired by any anyone in particular. But with that being said, when we do our jungle training, at least when I last went there, so our jungle training center is in Tully, North Queensland, which is the statistically the wettest place in Australia. It has the highest rainfall anywhere in the country all year round. Um, awesome place because it's just two weeks of quoting Platoon and Predator and just being autistic with your bros in the jungle and getting muddy and <laughs> yeah. leachy. And it's it's gnarly. Like jungle warfare training like sucks. But it's it's to me the kind of epitome of grunt infantry stuff as well because it's made that you know that is you hear it parroted among staff circles but like that is complex terrain when you're in mm. the jungle and you're dismounted that is complex terrain what are your senses doing how far can you actually see hear, detect anything um fuck all so it's it's so just foundational skills it's like he who has the best just dismounted combat excellence like will win the day um, of course that's a simplified fucking take, but uh, as I understand it, sorry, uh, yeah, no worries, no worries. Same. Uh, two RARs like the amphibious infantry unit with the uh, the Australians, right? They're attached to, like the Canberra and the Adelaide, is it? Yeah. yeah, correct. So, so two RAR forms the it's, I guess, changing and will change now because of the Defense Strategic mm -hmm. Review DSR, which just came out, I want to say, two, three months ago. I'm not all over it, so I'm not sure what that means for two RAR to be honest, but putting that aside. When I left the military, 2RR formed what was the the joint pre-landing mm -hmm. force, or JPLF element. So they combined with some uh, clearance divers, uh, some EW guys, a few other augmented units and specialists would be effectively the pre-landing force for the, what would they call it? GCE, ground combat element. Um, this is all open source mm -hmm. stuff, which would then be formed by another, another unit. So another battalion would rotate through a GCE responsibility, so providing a, a company or two, I think it depended on what size amphibious group or unit they wanted to form to which two RR was like the specialist mm. pre-landing force. So that, yeah, you're right. That's what two has been focusing on for the last fire out going on 10 years now, 2013 yeah. is when we started the amphibious kind of trial as a concept mm -hmm. of workups. Um, yeah. So, about so 10 years. I can only imagine because we have Murph D's and the Marines go down to Lake Darwin. There's a whole base down there and everything. Yeah. And the Marine Corps jungle warfare tra training center is in Okinawa. So is there, I mean, I never saw a lot of Australians outside of like guys who wanted to go surfing when I was in Japan. Do you know if there's or have any idea if there's going to be like an inclination to like do some integrated between like the amphibious guys and the Marines across the Pacific? Because the Marine Corps' whole thing is EABO, counteracting the Chinese in the South China Sea, taking islands, could yeah, just sure. something like that using like our little aircraft carriers and I guess like your helicopter landing platforms and it gets like an integrated front because. Yeah, I'd say there was a lot of joint and integrated work done, training rather, um, across a lot of those large-scale exercises you'd, you'd hear and see about, and they rotate on a biannual mm -hmm. basis or every two years. So you've got your talisman saber, exercise hamel, rim pack as rim well, pack, which obviously yeah. you guys host in Hawaii. And between those three, there's pretty much one of those every year, which sees a huge amount of interoperability mm -hmm. and joint training done. So um, I think the one of the talisman sabers we did, we, we swapped – kind of augmented one for one with the platoon of Marines. I think a platoon of Marines became part of the JPLF and we went and um, joined whatever they were and we ended up on USS Ashland and then we ship jumped to one of these other. It was funny. One of these ships was so old and so decrepit and all the sailors like US Navy was the most oppressed humans I'd ever seen. And it was this sad, sorry old ship. And I went to the other one, which is all new and flash and, you know, looked like a, I don't know, something out of June. Like a spiky tower up mm -hmm. on a naval naval. Oh yeah, they were all happy and chirpy. It was sick. Yeah, it was the Ashland and the Green Bay. Green I can't Bay, remember yeah. which, but one of them was okay. was the Depresso Espresso, and the other one, everyone, it was like new and futuristic, and everyone. When it comes to your, 
like amphibious landing craft because like the Marines have like LCACs and we put, you know, tanks and Humvees and stuff like that onto them. And they are notoriously for breaking down 200 yards off of the ship and then they're just dead in the water. Is that a, is that a yeah. strategic problem for like the Australians? Because I know the Marine Corps is just like, ah, this is a huge problem. They're just... Yeah, I'd say it's definitely is at the moment because we don't have that capability at all. So that's one, I guess, big myth bust when people hear about 2RR is that, you know, they think we're training for Omaha Beach in the Pacific or I don't know, Wake Island, uh, Iwo Jima mm-hmm. 2.0 in the Pacific in 2025, but 2RR does not do opposed landings. Everything, really? every amphibious landing done by 2RR and for the most part, the the ARE, ARU is into uncontested landings. So it's already been secured through shaping mm. AFO have been in there doing their their thing behind the scenes. Um, the beachhead is secure. So we don't have the way the US Marines do, um, AAV, like an offensive ability to lodge on a contested beachhead. Mm-hmm. And that was never the purpose of of 2RR and our ARE. It's this weird, dumb thing because like we, really? 2RR has small, uh, what do you call them, uh, combatant rating, rating craft, CRRCs, yeah, yeah, yeah. not CSR, confusing that fucking acronym. Um, <laughs> Zodiacs, right? Like yeah. That's that's the mm-hmm. the reconnaissance man's primary craft for getting to shore, sneaky, undetected in the dark, and that's like our primary asset. And the guys are very well trained on that. The guys who focus on boats. Um, so well, how are you going to land a beach and a rubber boat? You're going to get shot. And so, well, we're not fuck. We're not storming pillboxes on the beach. It's not not the point. Um, so I yeah, mean, to answer your question, yeah, we don't have that at the moment. But I do believe the DSR has, and I just saw a thing on LinkedIn the other day. Some company in Western Australia won some tender to produce. I suppose they're not AAV, so it's not a an armored platform. It's like a new landing craft platform that is meant to operate with both the LHD mm-hmm. ships and then the I'm not sure what other ship, what other ship. But by the look of it, the, the kit we have, I don't think we're still gearing up to with the the DSR, the kit they want to buy. I don't think we're still planning to develop mm-hmm. contested landing ability, much the way the Marines are, because I think the Marines are getting a replacement vehicle for the um what is it? AAVs, right? Yeah, those are notorious. Like they actively sink in the motors, pump the water out, and they could ride to shore. But uh, we had a big one go down a few years yeah, ago gross. that uh, killed 13. I it, saw that right off uh, off Camp Pendleton. Yep, 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 just went in right to the drink. Uh, it took a little yeah. while to find them. So we've been using those since the 1980s. So, I mean, the Marine Corps is just, you know, always underfunded or something like that. And so I think to get around the LCAC issue, they got rid of tanks, artillery, everything like that. So it's a strictly light infantry force now. And I was just curious to see if there's like, I guess, like a hint of like integration at that, where it's like training light infantry, Marines are light infantry now. Like they're not going to fight in Fallujah anymore or Marja. It's everyone's just working towards the same goal. And another question I have is this might be more like a Navy centric one is how, how the cast capabilities look when it's going to shore. Because from what I've seen, the the LHDs just have helos, not like an F-35 or any variant. Yeah, correct. Correct. Um, yeah, you, you've nailed it, mate. The, the, the CAS capability as it was for whenever we were training, it was, you'd get it from ARHs, which was our, I'm not sure equivalent is the right word to Apaches, but cause they're more, uh, scout reconnaissance. <laughs> they're still an attack rotary wing, but they're, they're an Apache. They are not. Um, but yeah, that was about as the extent of, of close air support as far as, as you nailed it on the head, because yeah, the LHDs don't carry. Uh, fixed wing. I mean, just me thinking just on the spot, like it would just make more, I guess, sense for like the average listener or something like that to say, like, it would just make sense to just make like a, like a joint operation when it comes to amphibious capabilities where it's like, I guess like the Marines clear or come in with like CAS or the Navy they, does their thing because there's only so many aircraft carriers, the little tiny ones, the LHDs are the ones that really do all the heavy lifting when it comes to uh, uh, Marines. Yeah. I was about to say, it doesn't, if it, it doesn't sound as bad as it is, in my opinion. If you've read uh, Eugene Sledge's book with the old breed or any uh, my pillow. of yeah. the books about the Pacific. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, helmet from my – yeah. It's, it's funny as he's talking, you can kind of see it <laughs> shaping, right? Because like you're going to obviously have the Marine Corps and the, the U.S. Navy, which are going to breach. But the problem isn't – the you know, you've got the breach, but then you have to maintain that momentum – in the strategic atmosphere. And it's like, okay, well, we have an entire two RAR that once the Marine Corps has breached the beachhead, there's still an entire jungle that needs to be cleared. And it's yeah. like, you know, the, the breach is one, you know, that's, that's a, that's going to be a decimator. Whoever does it is not going to have a good day. They're going to lose guys. There's going to be chaos. You're going to have to round Marines up. There's no 
there is not going to be, you know, the Marine Corps breaches the beachhead and then goes in, right? There's going to be 30% casualties, absolute chaos. Companies are going to be mismatched, you know, like D-Day, you know, dudes are going to be like 50 kilometers off and it's just going to be chaos on the beach. But once that breach is established and we're like, hey, we've opened it, like there's a clear definitive line right here that you can bring to RAR in. And then all of a sudden, you know, boats with drunk Aussies show up and they just run into the jungle <laughs> chasing the Chinese away. And that yeah. honestly is the scariest day for me. It's like, okay, you fought the Marines on the beachhead. Now you've got, you know, an entire regiment of Australians hunting you in the jungle. And I mean, that's a 48 hour operation mm -hmm. in itself right there. And it's so, you know, you, you, you hear you guys kind of talk about it back and forth and it's like, that sounds like the worst fucking Island to be on. It's yeah. like, fight tooth and nail against the Marines. And oh, if you survive, you have to fight the Australians who basically live in Southeast Asia training. Because every every digger I, I know has spent you know months in the jungle with like the Singapore army. They've done rotations up to Guinea. They've done all types of things in the jungle. Like we go to the, in the army, we have jungle school, which is like one month. And we're like, yeah, you did it. Here's a tab. Meanwhile, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the Australian army is spending half a year in the jungle and you're like, that sucks. You, that's, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's that much. I mean, there's definitely, I okay. suppose more opportunities because of proximity to, you know, our neighbors than, than say for, yeah. um, perhaps your average us army infantry unit. Uh, so yeah, guys will get some rotation time in Thailand, Malaysia, Malaysia is a common one. There's always an ongoing mm -hmm. rotation presence in Malaysia and they get some good jungle training there. I never did it myself. Um, but yeah, I'd just say even the, the jungle training school, if you just rotated, if you rotated your company through that thing once a year and just watched the skill rise across not just jungle warfare, but every component of your, your infantry or your soldiering training, it would be insane. I'd love to, I don't know, if a unit mm. did that as an experiment, like took two companies over a five-year period, one of them attended jungle warfare rotation. And it's only like two weeks or it's a two or, week, two or three week, I think, um, rotation. But it's just so well honed because it's been in effect since Vietnam that it's everything and it is old school in a lot of ways but it, it's one of those things too that keeps you grounded it's hey, all this old stuff that mm -hmm. the vietnam vets used to do you know they do it for a reason and some of it is timeless like you know, crawling on your on your face in the gut in the jungle you know that's something that's not going to change mm -hmm. regardless of what what caliber or what kit or what sensors or what optic your opposition has on do his you gun. know if the um so yeah, it's a super super fan of jungle training i guess you're amphibious landing craft if there's been any beach studies with those like artificial islands that have been put in the South China Sea, because the Chinese just build islands and put anti-aircraft mm. systems on there, they're like, come take it. Like, what? I did it. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure if the Marine Corps is doing anything crazy yes, like that, uh, because, I mean, site surveys are kind of hard yeah, when you're a Caucasian showing up in Asian territory. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's where all those clips you see, isn't it? Where it's like... um U.S. aircraft, you must leave yeah. now. And it's like the you the plane, the P-3 Orion mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like, oh, we are a lawful aircraft in international waters and we are here conducting. <laughs> it's, you know, <laughs> that's what they're yeah. over the islands. They're probably getting all the, all the SIG into <laughs> on a geospatial that we need, right? Speaking of something like that, the so, Marine Corps oh, got one of the prowlers oh. that were supposed to be like that SIG and collect, like jamming tool. Oh, yeah. They were so sick. The prowlers and the growlers, we got rid of them. And now yeah. the F-35 is supposed to be like this universal... It does everything, but it doesn't have any guns. You're like, oh, really? Sick. Yeah, true. Sick. So that's being made. It's like your collection. Thing it's it's well, everything. Am I, am I transmitting? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, Sorry, my little green bar here on the right wasn't going up. No, it, it'll. I'll jack it up. Okay. Um, I'll because we're we're approaching the one hour. I'll do. I'll bring you back to the kit, and then I'll ask yeah, you yeah, no if you have any. But, um, so the kit, and then we'll one final question for uh. What do you guys got going on in the future or what do you have going on in the future for the page? But yeah, the, the kit, um, what's, what's the future of kit look like in your opinion after sitting there for two years, watching all these conflicts go down? Uh, so yeah, you, you raise a good point because there's definitely merits for belt kit and mm -hmm. we do, we use a mix of both belt kit and your classic plate carrier or what is now, I guess a classic plate carrier. The thing is though, when we do this jungle training, and I think I started saying it before, but got distracted because I'm easily distracted. Um, we yeah. still do our jungle training at the time, at least when I did it, in in this kind of kit without plate carriers and with either uh you guys would call it a chest rig, I suppose mm -hmm. we'd call it a battle bra or the 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 belt kit. Uh, for mm -hmm. the exact same reasons you mentioned, when you 
humping through the steaming tropical jungle for, and even when you're doing a training, you're only out there for days at a time. But if you're doing this for days, weeks, months, in and out, and because because that's your life, because you're a Myanmar rebel mm-hmm. <laughs> like fighting the junta, <laughs> then yeah, it's a classic, I guess, tale of mobility versus survivability. Um, insofar as you know how much heat casualties are you going to take as well if you've got everyone super over encumbered with body armor and this sort of kit. Mate, I, th- I don't know. I think you'd probably, you'd, you'd look to be a mix of it and then depending on, as always, nature of threat, the terrain, the the likely anticipated mission set, all that sort of stuff. But I'd, I'd like to see a case or think there's a compelling argument for guys doing some mission sets without, say, body armor and without mm-hmm. helmets or helmets like mm-hmm. by night for your night vision and that sort of kit. But during the day, it's nothing but, but NARM style. It's either belt mm-hmm. kit or chest rig and floppy hat. And you've got your green face on and it's like slow and steady through the jungle. Reconnaissance mm-hmm. type kid, I guess. Um, yeah, I can definitely see a compelling case where there is a place for nobody body armor and kit. But I suppose that comes down to the, you know, what what commander is going to accept that level of mm-hmm. risk when it comes to, hey, your dude got is now dead. He got shot in the chest. Why did you not just have them wear body armor? It's like, oh, because it was hot. Well, <laughs> like, it, it, yeah. So it's one of those tricky it ones. It is huh? bewildering to look at like the standard kit from World War II nothing vietnam i I guess in like our situation vietnam they just got like a flak maybe and then gulf war where it's just like these guys have like what 45 50 pounds on their back and then a rack 03 these guys have 65 pounds on their back and they're still expected to march i don't know 20 miles and you're like well those light infantry is not so light anymore so no never absolutely so Basically, what you're saying, Carl, is I need a bunch of kit, and I'll have to go to my wife's boyfriend and get the credit card. And <laughs> I need more kit. Carl said so. <laughs> Mate, if you can't be good at your job, at least look cool doing it. It's being cool. Yeah. Looking cool is, and you're done. Hundred yeah. percent. Big fan of that. So, all right, but yeah. Um, what else? Uh, what's the future now that you've? Uh, got a degree in in business and you have a business what's the business going to do so at the moment still focusing on the pla side of the house or trying to mm-hmm. focus on the china side of the house in terms of putting out some of the the guides so every week for the uh, perhaps the listeners who don't follow csrc on instagram there's a quiz on fridays which tests effectively the knowledge that's delivered through the week and then every week i'll try and deliver some sort of information post relating to specifically kit and equipment um, again i try and steer clear of geopolitical mm-hmm. and, and, and news for the most part just because to be honest it's a it doesn't interest me as much and b i'm not good at it um kit is what i enjoy so yeah this week i'll do something probably a bit different on russia but then outside of that um i'm also delving into youtube because that's just something that's i enjoy that. for the most part uh i like the process of editing i like the process of making um silly little movies and having memes flash up on the screen and all this sort of thing and uh, me, a not Zoomer, I feel I'm trying to do a good job here of, of, of appeal it to the, the You got to talk audience. to Alcon. Um, you could just probably so yeah, I did give one you before like a, on like camouflage for your weapon. Alcon, Who Alcon that, has figured it out. He's, I don't know, just shoot him at, shoot oh, him really? at text. Yeah, he'll probably yeah. give some pointers. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. Um, but yeah, aside from that, YouTube is something I'm trying to put more energy into. It's just, it's one of those things, mate. I, like I love it, but. I don't know if you guys done much like video editing, but it's, yeah. it burns your soul as much as you as much as you enjoy it. But then the second you hit like publish and it's done, it's just the biggest dopamine dopamine <laughs> that you can ever get. Um, so yeah, more CSI YouTube coming out. Looking forward to making some um, maybe not personalized take, but stuff from my background, linking some of my experience to, I guess, a lessons learned story as well. Kind of a internet detective. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen seen mm-hmm. his videos? Mm-hmm. great channel great channel give him a follow on youtube um that sort of inspiration kind of stuff but yeah aside from that the uh weekly information co- posts shall continue until morale improves and um i make <laughs> posters as well like a4 printable posters which are free so again it's not like i'm not making a, a dime not making a nickel off them that's because guys can print them for free stick them on the back of the toilet doors because as we talked about like I feel there's still units out there looking at BMP ones and AKMs. When you That's perhaps a fact of life. Should be yeah. at QBZ one nine ones and yeah, some I, know the, um, I don't know if I mentioned this before that, but when I was at Third Recon back in Japan, they would put um, it was like a recce guide, but it was like the different type of quadcopters that the Chinese use. 
And it's about how to identify like a oh, civilian nice. one and a military one and the different characteristics and like a recce guide of like identifying like this one's from Amazon. This one is definitely state produced. And I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, way about going about things. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but definitely sounds like something right mm-hmm. up my alley. It's a good bit of kit. Something you'd yeah. Yeah. But All right, man. Uh, that, that's that's it. Unless you got anything else. Uh, nah, my, um, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. I could waffle all night if you bloody let me but yeah happy to <laughs> happy to call it a day boys all right bye bye